I'm going to talk about water baptism this morning. And I know that might not sound like the most exciting topic, but I promise I'm going to make it exciting for you this morning, okay? Um, but uh, we got a chance to do that, and uh, a couple things. One, I know it's so cruel to show you a video from summertime, because like we're all needing summer, some summer. Some of you were like, oh, I can't wait for a pool party. And another thing I know some of you were thinking, you were nervous that somebody was going to hit their head on the side of the pool, weren't you? I knew it. Don't, I'm a professional, okay? So don't worry. I got this. Um, nobody's going to get hurt. Uh, but we got a, a, a chance to baptize a bunch of people. And uh, last week, we, you know, we started a new sermon series last week. It's called Rhythms and Rituals. And basically what it is is this idea that the early church, when, when, when Jesus came and, he, and he, he, he taught and he showed us how to live and then he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again, this new, this new people got formed. And Jesus came and he says, like, I'm, I'm, this new kingdom is here and it's created this new kind of people. And, uh, and they, they adopted some new rhythms and rituals and habits so that really shaped them and formed them around this story of Jesus. And um, we, as a church, are going to sort of investigate some of these things, some of these habits that this early church, um, this early church uh, adopted, because maybe, maybe there's some things for us to discover today. And we said last week that um, some of us, or all of us have some bad habits, you know, all of us do. And the best way to get rid of bad habits isn't to just try to stop having bad habits, but it's to replace bad habits with habits that you want. It's called habit replacement. And so perhaps if we were to, to push away some things that we didn't want and incorporate, it would make room for some things. Or perhaps maybe if we sort of make room some things in our lives, it pushes out other things that we don't want in our lives. And these rhythms and rituals and habits that, this, that the early church adopted is continuing to shape Christians uh, still to this day. So we started that last week and we read um, from Acts chapter 2. And Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And it's the story of, of how this new people, this, this church of Jesus was spreading all throughout the known world. And we, we, we heard that last week that, that the Holy Spirit sort of like was, was poured out on these people in a fresh way. Like God's presence was with them in a, in a new way and it empowered them to be witnesses. And the first way that we saw the church being a witness is with their voice, with, their, with what they said. And so Peter gets up and he preaches this awesome message. And 3,000 people get baptized right there and give their lives to Jesus and say, no, I believe that Jesus is Lord and King and he's alive. And which that's so cool. But then on the very next little piece, we see another way that the church gets to be a witness. And it isn't just with our words. It's with, with how we live. It's with the quality and the, 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 uh, the kind of rhythms that, that this church adopted. That that was a powerful witness to the world around them. And, and uh, you know, if you missed last week, you know, you can listen to it online and get caught up real easy. But basically we saw that the early church, they devoted themselves to, to four things. And it says in that passage in Acts 2 that they devoted themselves first to the apostles' teaching. That if Jesus really is alive, then that means it has implications in, with everything. And so what does that mean for us? So they would gather together and just talk about the implications of this. Um, it says they, they were devoted to fellowship. Or the, the, the Greek word that they use there is the word koinonia. So they were, they were uh, and, and fellowship and koinonia isn't just hanging out. It's so much more. It's sharing life together. Um, it's, it's, it's sharing, you know, deep, deep things together. And they did that. They shared and they, so many things. Um, and then they were devoted to breaking bread, which is meals together. They just had a bunch of meals together. Part of that was taking communion together. And then the last thing it says that they were devoted to was to prayer, 
or the prayers. And another word that we could use for that is, is worship. They got together and they prayed prayers together. They sought the Lord together um, and they gathered together in worship. And uh, that's, what, that's what that early church did. They devoted themselves to these sort of routines and rhythms that enforced, enforced and retells constantly the story of Jesus. Um, I know it sounds foreign to us sometimes that, uh, you know, that like rhythms and rituals and habits. Um, I don't know what kind of church you grew up in. You know, perhaps, uh, perhaps you grew up in a very sort of what could be called a liturgical church. Maybe it was very structured and Maybe, uh, maybe you enjoyed that for a little bit, but maybe perhaps if you lose sight of why those things are important, it becomes kind of empty and dead. And maybe that's perhaps one of the reasons why you pushed Christianity away is because you, maybe you grew up in an, an environment where it just seemed like you were standing up and sitting down and doing this, these, these things and these, these fasts or maybe these meals and you didn't know what it was all, how it was all connected and so it just kind of lost its luster perhaps. Um, maybe there's something to regain by us re-looking at some of these things. Maybe you grew up in a church tradition where you, you didn't do any of that, and so all of this is brand new. Uh, but uh, th that's why we're taking some time uh, to look at what this early church did and what they devoted themselves to. But we, the funny thing is, we do the same thing still. I mean, you might not think that you live your life kind of like with rhythms and rituals and, and habits, but we do. We all do. You're living this way already. So am I. And we're just hard to recognize. So I have some examples for you of how we already live this way. So one, one rhythm that we're all already living on is this one right here, right? Some of us love the Northwest because you get all four seasons. And what's funny is living this way kind of gives us a rhythm. And there's rituals and, and sort of habits built into this rhythm of life, right? You got spring cleaning in the, in the spring. You got barbecues in the, in the summer. Um, you know, you've got like uh, pumpkin spice lattes and going to the pumpkin patch in the fall. You know, I mean, we just have these things that we do and kind of build our lives around them. Here's another sort of rhythm that people build their lives around. This is the, the school schedule. <laughs> Many people are like, this is your life right now. And this has been your life for a long time is just the rhythms of school, right? So you've got the fall semester, you've got Christmas break, you've got winter semester, you've got spring break. And then you got summer break and then back to school shopping stuff. And it's just these rhythms that come over. And then here's another one that a lot of people live their lives by. All right. This is one you're familiar with. Like what season are we in? What are we watching? Some of you have a countdown like for when duck football season starts again. You know, I mean, you're getting excited. This is how you live your life. You've got these rhythms. And these things all come with their own rituals and habits and, you know, and, and things that you do. Here's one, another one that I thought of. Um, because all of you got a show that you like or a bunch of shows that you like. And so maybe your life is sort of you got this rhythm with your shows. Uh, the Rice family, we are survivor people, okay? We've watched Survivor for a lot of years. And so Wednesday nights are sacred at my house. I'm not going to, if I do schedule something on a Wednesday, I'm going to be home before 8 because that's when Survivor starts. And, uh, and, you know, and, and the new season starts in a couple weeks. The Rices are excited for this. And, you know, I don't know what your shows are, but you've got the season premiere and then you have this weird mid-season mid break, right? which is this is like a new thing I don't know this started recently but it's the mid-season break and then you got the mid-season premiere again after it takes a little break and then you have the finale and there are these rhythms and rhythms and rhythms so you know, we're already sort of living this way and we're being shaped by these things these these rhythms are shaping us you're already being shaped by some rhythms so it wouldn't be a surprise that the church 
has incorporated these rhythms that, that also help shape us and, and redirect us to, to the ultimate story, to the story of Jesus. And so here's a, a, here's a typical church calendar. Now, what I'm showing you might be, some of these words might be brand new to some of you. If you grew up, like I said, in sort of a liturgical church, then you're rec- you, you'll recognize a lot of these names here. But there are a lot of churches from the very beginning that would get into sort of a seasonal rhythm where each year, or maybe it's, it's, it's uh, two, uh, once every two years or maybe once every three years, it goes through these, these sort of rhythms where, a bunch, and even today, still, all over the world, there's churches that sort of run their yearly calendar um, with this rhythm right here. So um, it starts with, with Advent, and our church, we've, for the last couple of years, we've been doing Advent and really ramping it up, and the Advent season is that sort of like four weeks before Christmas, so we can get our hearts ready. Um, I grew up in a home where we didn't do Advent. In fact, I didn't start doing Advent until I'm here at Westside just four years ago when we started doing it together. It's brand new for me. Um, but this is so not brand new for so many churches that just practice Advent. But it goes from Advent into the season called Epiphany. Um, and, uh, and then that leads us to the beginning of Lent. Now, you've heard of Lent before probably. Maybe you had a friend who did Lent, and you're like, what's Lent about? And they're like, oh, I'm giving up chocolate. You know, like maybe it was just a chocolate thing, or I don't, know, I don't know what it was. Maybe you had some hardcore friends that like actually really did Lent. But Lent is a really beautiful thing that I've never really participated in or experienced before. And I think for many, some of you have, and many of you haven't. But Lent is a really cool season. It get, kicks off with, actually, it kicks off with Mardi Gras. So, so actually, Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday that, that is 40 days before Easter. Ash Wednesday sort of is the beginning of Lent, and it's symbolic of like the 40 days where Jesus was in the wilderness. 40 is a, is a really sort of uh, loaded number in the Bible. There's a lot of things that happen in 40s, and so it's these 40 days before Easter. That's, that's um, Ash Wednesday, um, and usually there's some fasting involved, and so that's why uh, for a long time there was this sort of like feasting period right before, and that's what Mardi Gras or like Carnival, you know, that's, those, are, those are deeply Catholic sort of traditions. Those, that's where they find their roots. But it starts with, then it goes to Ash Wednesday, and then, um, and then those Sundays kind of lead us to Holy Week, and Holy Week um, kicks off with the Sunday before Easter, which is Palm Sunday, and then it goes to Maundy Thursday, which you're like, Maundy Thursday, he just made that up. He did, like, no, 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 Maundy Thursday is like a real thing. I've been doing lots of reading. It's so interesting that there's this, like, this meal that families get together and do, Maundy Thursday, and then Good Friday is next. And if you've been around church a while, you've, you've heard of Good Friday. That's when we gather and we really contemplate um, the, the cross and Jesus on the cross. And then there's Saturday, and there's not really a name for Saturday, although my friend A.J. Swoboda calls it Awkward Saturday. Because it's kind of just like this awkward sort of in-between time where it's like Jesus is, in a way, he's sort of like still in the grave. And then there's Easter, Easter Sunday. Um, And then uh, what's cool, what I've been learning, is that churches that run by this calendar, Easter isn't just one Sunday. It kind of kicks off a season of talking about Easter, talking about the implications of the resurrection. So a lot of churches around the world spend, a, spend eight, seven or eight weeks just talking about the resurrection, talking about Easter. And that leads to Pentecost. And we, we read a little bit in Acts chapter 2 about these uh, disciples who were gathered for Pentecost. And then there's this sort of season of time which, they, which is called ordinary time. I think the name, they could have thought of a better name than ordinary time. But um, that's because it's a little bit ordinary. Um, but, you know, that, that's what it's called. And that kind of like the church explores different stuff in there. And then they do it again. And then they do it again. And they do it again. But what's cool is that it creates these rhythms and it, it shapes people and it shapes around it. The thing, one of the biggest things, surprises that I learned by just studying more about the church calendar is that starting from the very beginning, 
Starting from the very beginning, the early church would do water baptisms. They would baptize people, and they would baptize people once a year on Easter Sunday. Once a year on Easter Sunday is when they would do baptisms. And so that's what we're going to do this year. So heads up. So as a part of this sermon series that we're starting, we as a church are going to take a run at taking Lent a little bit more seriously. Like, to, like looking at Lent and just saying, like, what, what could this season sort of look for us? Um, as a church, and it's new for me, and it'd be new for some of us, but I'm really excited for us to sort of, sort of kind of come alongside this, this ancient church calendar and see what's there for us. So we're going to sort of, in a, in, a, in a West Side way, celebrate Lent together, and that'll lead us up to Palm Sunday and Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, and then on Easter Sunday, we're going to do baptisms. We're going to baptize a bunch of people, and I hope we do um, baptize a lot of people. And that's why I'm talking about water baptism this morning. And let me just put my cards out on the table for you, okay? I, here's my agenda. Here's what, all I'm trying to do is, is my hope today is that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, and if you haven't been baptized, then I, just, I want you to get baptized. That's my hope. That's, like, that's the big takeaway is I just want you to get signed up. I want you to get baptized. Um, if you maybe were baptized as, an, as, a, as a kid and you don't remember it and you're wondering, like, is it okay to get re-baptized? I'll, I'll, I'm going to answer that question sort of at the end, at the end of our time. But, uh, you know, if you're here and, and the whole baptism thing and Christianity thing is all new and you're not even sure what you think about it all, um, the good news is, is you're in the right place because if you can understand what baptism is all about, then you're, gonna, you're, you're, you're wrapping your brain around what Christianity is about, what the essence is. And so this is a really great morning for you to be here and learn about water baptism. The, the last reason why this is really important that we're talking about this today is, is one of our values at our church is that we come alongside parents and help encourage parents to be the main spiritual developers of their kids. We believe that children are like arrows. They need to be um, intentionally, uh, they need to be carefully crafted and intentionally aimed. And that we get to do this as a family, as a church, together. But oh, oftentimes what happens in, in church world and Christianity is sometimes parents feel like, oh, no, it's the church's job to get my, to, to like help my kid be a Christian. Uh, I'm just gonna feed them, you know? Or like, or I'm, you know, I'll just be like the parent at home, but it's the church's job to do that. But we feel like it's one of our great tasks, a fun task, in order to encourage parents and help parents understand that, no, you get to be the main spiritual developer of your kid. And it is a privilege for us to come alongside and encourage and help and give you ideas. And we're going to be investing in your kids. Absolutely. Um, but with baptism, what we're talking about today is... I want you, parents, and we're a church that's blessed to have so many kids and a lot of families with young kids, and we have a lot of kids in our church that are kind of at this age where it's like, is it time for them to get baptized? Who's talking to them about baptism? Um, and I just want, this morning, I just want you to, to give some, maybe some fresh language for you, parents especially, for you to be able to talk to your kids about what baptism's about. Um, because, because we really feel like it's not primarily our job to do that. It's your job to do that. Um, but man, we love helping. Of course, I want to talk to your kids. I would love to talk to your kids about baptism, but I want to give you the tools to be able to do it too, um, because you're going to know a whole lot more and you're going to, you're going to be able to, to really uh, understand the right words to say. And so that's why we're doing it this morning. Um, baptism is a really big deal in the Bible. So one thing that we see um, in the scripture is that there are these themes in the Bible. There's, there's, there's really cool themes, all sorts of sort of themes that you see run its way through. It made me think of, when I was thinking about how to describe this, I thought of Toy Story 3, all right? Um, hopefully you've all seen Toy Story 3 because I don't want to spoil anything, but if you haven't seen Toy Story 3 yet, then 
we'll pray for you, all right? We have, we'll have an area up here for you after service. We'll pray over you. Um, Toy Story 3 is the toys, you know, they get, they get donated to a, uh, to a preschool, which is like hell for them, you know? It's like prison. And so they have to escape because the kids are all slobbering on them and, you know, and like leaving them all broken. And so there's this really cool uh, prison break uh, scene in the movie Toy Story 3. And what, what I learned about this is that the makers of Toy Story 3 literally spent days and they rented every single jail break movie that that exists and they just watched all of them because what's so interesting is that there's like there's like a there's themes in those movies you know there's like there's common threads it's like there's always this old guy old grizzled guy that like knows more than everybody else there's always like a snitch you know that's gonna like tell the guard there's there's always like there's just these tropes you know these prison break tropes you know that and and when you watch that scene in Toy Story 3 they just use all of them and just kind of put them together and you're like I recognize that I saw that movie and it's like it's recognizable what's cool is that the Bible has these like similar threads in them. And one of these threads is this idea that God, that God rescues through the waters. It's a, it just shows up over and over again that God like rescues through the waters. I just, just a couple examples would be like even in Genesis 1 in the very beginning that, that it says that the earth was formless and, and, that, and that like God sort of like created and separated out of the waters, you know, out of the deep. And then the, the next obvious one is there's Noah. Remember, you know, we know that story. There's this like water thing. The biggest, probably biggest one is Moses. Remember, they're enslaved in Egypt. They're slaves. And, and God pulls them out. And how does he ultimately rescue them? Well, he, they have to pass through the waters on dry land. They pass through the waters. And then even after that, there's the Israelites are going to go take the promised land and, and, and inherit the promised land. And so Joshua is with all the people and they get to the Jordan. And guess what happens is they, they, they cross the Jordan and it's through the waters that they find this new land. And, and those are just a few examples of this that happens over and over and over again in the scriptures. And so it's no surprise that here's Jesus now and Jesus is, is getting baptized himself. He's, he's being baptized and he's going down into the water and it's this beautiful, it's again just following along with this theme. But baptism was really, really, really important for Jesus. And uh, in his last sort of few words with his disciples that we have from the book of Matthew, Jesus has got his disciples together. This is called the Great Commission. I read an article last week that said that only 50% of, of Christians in the United States know what the Great Commission is. So I'm telling you, Westside's going to help the numbers jump up a little bit this morning, okay? This is the Great Commission. This is what it's called. And Jesus is with his disciples and he's, he's commissioning them. He's like knighting them. He's like deputizing them. You know, he's saying, this is what I want you to do. And here's what he says. Listen to what he says from Matthew chapter 28. He says, then Jesus came to them and he says, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. I mean, this gets like, this is up there in the list, you know? I mean, Jesus could have said a lot of things right here, but here's what he chose to say. I want you to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm not going to leave you alone. You're not, gonna, you're not in this alone. You've heard that phrase, you know, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we baptize people, that's where this comes from, is when we baptize people, we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Um, I've shared this story before, but uh, I've got to share it now because I'll always remember my very first baptism that I ever did with anybody. I was a college kid. I was at the U, at the U of O, and I was kind of like an intern at, this, at, at Eugene Faith Center at this church on 13th and Polk. And it was like a Friday, and I was the only, there was only a few people around the church that day. And there was a lady that came in, and she said, I really want to get baptized, but I got to get baptized like now because I'm, she was being deployed the next day. She was leaving. She was, she was um, getting in the military. She was getting sent somewhere. And she's like, I, I really want to get baptized. And so I'm freaking out because I'm like, well, we got to call somebody because it can't be me, you know. So I'm like trying to call people and nobody's answering. And so it's like, oh, man, I guess we're just going to do this thing. And I was super nervous. We talked to the facility people. They filled up the tank there. And so we went over to the sanctuary. And I'm like, I'm excited, but I'm super nervous. And we get in the water and, and I, she's ready to go. She's, got, she's plugging her nose, you know, and she's about to go in. And I realize there's something I'm supposed to say. Like there's like a, there's a thing that pastors say at this point and I can't remember what it is. And my mind blanked completely. And so I just said the first thing that came to my head, which was by the power vested in me. And I realized, oh no, that's a wedding. I'm doing, I'm, I'm playing the wedding script right now, but I already said it. So I had to continue. So I was like, by the power vested in me, by the state of California, or by the state of Oregon, I pronounce you baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, it, it came to me. It came to me. I'll always remember that. And that's where that language comes from. It's from the Great Commission. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It was a really big deal for Jesus that we do this. And so here it leads us to the question, why? Why this? Like, why dipping somebody in water, you know? Um... What is this? What is it about water baptism that is so important to the scriptures and so important to Jesus? And this is like a diamond. It's like there's so many facets to it. We don't have the time to mine the depths of it. But here's just a, here's just a, a, little, a little look at it, okay, this morning. Why is this, what is this uh, baptism thing? Well, here's what it is. It's essentially, it's an initiation ceremony. It's this sort of like beautiful initiation ceremony that's designed to be like an outward sign of a person binding their story to Jesus' story. It's sort of like a visual way to retell the story of Jesus and retell the truth of what we believe to be true about who he is and about who we are. It's this retelling. And that when I get baptized, it's like it's, like it's an initiation ceremony, but it's also like a proclamation that, you know, here's my life, but here's like... Here's Jesus' life, and I want my life to be bound up in his life. And I want his story to be the main driving story of my life. That it's no longer my life anymore. I'm giving it to him, and I'm finding it in him. And so baptism is sort of a way to, to, to show that, to picture that. That's what it is. When I say initiation, initiation ceremony, it, makes, it can make some people nervous. Because <laughs> when we think initiation ceremony, we think like, you know, uh, hazing down at the, the frat house at the U of O, you know, or we think um, sacrificing a chicken of some kind or, you know, like something strange, like initiation ceremony. I don't know about that. Um, but think about it, though. There's, there, we do all sorts of initiation ceremonies that, that are just come very naturally to us. Think, what, what is an initiation ceremony? It's, it's this was your life before, and then you have like this moment Sometimes it's a, it's a party. You have this moment where now you're signifying that, no, there's, I'm in a new season. 
I'm, I'm leaving that old season behind and I'm entering something new. That's kind of like what, what an initiation ceremony is. And so I thought of some examples that you guys would find really familiar. Like, for instance, this is an initiation ceremony, right? Very familiar one. You, you were one way before and now, like, now it's a, it's a new life, you know? It's like a new deal. And then there's this one right here, right? That's an initiation ceremony. You were one way before and now you kind of have this big party and you throw your hats in the air and it's, it's a new day, right? Um, and then here's like a citizenship ceremony. So that was my country before, but this is, this is my new country now, right? That's, a, that's an initiation ceremony. And then here's this one. This is the draft, right? This is like an initiation ceremony. It's like I, I got, wasn't on the team before, but I got picked. They chose me. And now like I'm on the team. And then here's another one right here. This is an adoption ceremony. Really beautiful initiation ceremony. I, I, I wasn't a part of the family before, but like now I am. That's beautiful. This last one, I wasn't sure if I wanted to put up there, but it's, it's one that we normally don't think of. But in a way, in a way, this is like an initiation ceremony in, in kind of a strange way. But I wanted, to bring, I wanted to bring this one in front of us because this is actually what the language that Paul uses in this passage that I'm about to read to you. It's from the book of Romans. And Paul is trying to describe what baptism is to people like us. And he uses this language of like death and burial to try to explain what, or what uh, baptism excuse me, is, is all about. And let, let me read it to you, okay? This is really beautiful what he says and really profound. He says this. This is Romans chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? What shall we say then? Which shall we say? I don't, I don't know what we should say. We don't know what you just said. You know, like, uh, we're not sure what to say. And, you know, he's, he's asking this question because he's assuming that you read chapter 5 or you read what he just said. And let me tell you what he just got finished saying. What he just got finished saying was he was saying um, that we as humans, we are rebellious to the core. We have these hearts that, you know, God is so faithful to us. And yet, essentially, so often, in fact, multiple times a day, we say, you know what, God, I want to do it my way. I think I could be a little bit better for God than you. That God is like giving us everything and we just tend to just kind of just be self-focused and, and, and we're just like this towards him. And so what's God's response supposed to be? What's God's response to these people who constantly keep cheating on him, constantly keep just, just pushing him away? What's God's response? And Paul has just got finished telling us that God's response to people like us, to people like that, is grace upon grace Upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. That God is, his response is that he is going to give us grace. That we should be on the hook for our sin. And, but instead, he lets us off the hook. But it doesn't mean that there's no payment. No, no, no. He gets us off the hook because he put himself on the hook for us. Grace. That no matter who you are today, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past is, no matter how unworthy you feel, no matter what's been done to you, no matter, no matter where you find yourself today, that grace, that it's fresh for you today, that it's new, that he doesn't hold your sins against you. He paid for your sins. You don't have to. Now you get to walk in newness and in life and in, in resurrection life because he paid for your sin. That's what Paul just got finished telling us. And so he says, then what then should we say? And then he asked this question, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And what he's doing is he's trying to like sort of cut us out at the knees of something that we could 
our human hearts tend to do. Because when you're confronted with this, like, with this kind of grace, like, wait a minute. See, Paul's anticipating that some people are going to say, man, let me get this straight. He's going to just give me grace? Like, I can do whatever, and he's still just going to give me grace? Come on, like, wait a minute, I can just like get, I can get by with anything. I mean, I can just kind of do what I want. And he still has to forgive me because of what Jesus did. Like, well, that's a great deal for me. I can just do whatever I want and he still forgives. That's amazing. And Paul says, should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He goes, you crazy. He says, by no means. He goes, no, no, no way. If you encounter that kind of grace, that kind of love, he goes, and if you think now that you're going to sort of like presume on that grace and just try to get by with stuff, he goes, that, that, means, you, that means you're not getting it. That means, that means you're not seeing this grace because this grace is the kind of grace where no way do you, do you sort of just try to get by with whatever because you know he's going to forgive you. No, it's like this is the kind of grace that transforms you. It's the kind of grace that humbles you to the core. It's the kind of grace that tells you like, I'm that loved and how can I not then go and love him back if he poured out his life for me how could I not go and pour my life out for others it's a it's a whole life reorienting changing sort of a grace and so he says by no means that we are those who have died to sin how can we live in it any longer he says listen if you're an Israelite and you got got freed from slavery from the Egyptians now you're free why in the world would you then go and try to be back in slavery or why would you walk around pretending like you're a slave now? He goes, that doesn't make sense. No, you are free. We've, we've died to sin. And then he starts using this, this like death language, which is so interesting. And he says this, or didn't you know that all of us who were baptized, there's our word, baptized into Christ Jesus, that we were baptized into his death? He says, and we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death whoa it's like he's saying that when you when you go down into the water like it's this profound like picture of it's like dying like like Jesus went into the grave so therefore I'm binding my life in his life and so therefore like if Jesus went to the grave I'm I'm going to into the grave in a way but but not like but it's like the it's like the old me that's dying it's not like the real me this time. No, 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 the real me, like the, the, the I'm resurrected. And this is what he goes on to say. But he's, but he's trying to say that like, yeah, this old life, this way that we used to live. No, 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 that's going into the grave because Jesus went into the grave. And then he says this, which is so awesome. He says, he says that we were there, therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So when you see somebody get baptized, it's this picture of going into the grave. And then they come out of the water and it's resurrection. It's Jesus walking out of the grave. It's us walking out of the grave saying, God, I am leaving that old, that, the old me, that, 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 that part. Lord, I know you love me no matter what. And my life is bound to your life. That's what. And Paul goes on. And this is just how he finishes this little, this little section here. He says this. For if we have been united with him in a death like his... We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. 
And so this is this picture of baptism. It's death. It's resurrection. And it's so much more. It's cleansing. It's, it's new birth. It's, it's all these beautiful sort of pictures sort of wrapped together in this beautiful picture. And I was trying to think of an illustration from my life that would, that would, that would kind of make sense. And it made me think of my sister. It made me think of my sister, Courtney. My sister is 32 now, but I was seven years old when we adopted her. We adopted her from South Korea. And um, I know, I know what you're thinking. I have a last name, Rice. It's a little ironic, you know, but, um, but uh, we, we joke about that in our house. My sister, Courtney, is, is I'll, I'll, I remember that day so clearly. I remember, I remember being at the airport and I remember um, we were there for a long, long time. We we're just waiting. And my brother and I were like getting the carts at the airport. You know, they have those carts. You pay for them, but when you bring them back, you get like a quarter. And so we were like stealing people's carts at the airport, you know, and like, uh, you know, I don't know. We, we were just like gathering these cars, trying to make some extra money because we were just sort of, uh, we were little guys at the time. And uh, finally the moment came. And at, at that, and in those days, like you could see all the people sort of getting off from, from the airplane, kind of from down a long hallway. I remember a long hallway. And I remember the moment where like right out came this representative from Holt International carrying my sister. You could see her from a long way off. And I just remember that moment when they, they handed Courtney into, into my parents' hands. And here's, what's, here's what's so cool is Courtney is my sister. There's never, there's never been a, there's never been a moment's, uh, there's never been a moment's doubt about that. There's never been a moment where it's like, yeah, she's like kind of my sister because, you know, she's adopted or like she's from another country. So she, you know, we don't really share the same. <sighs> never, never a moment. Why? Because she's my sister. Because she's, because we're in the, we're in the same family together. And how much sense would, would it make for my sister to be like, well, I'm not, I'm not really part of the family. Like, I'm, you know, what, well, how much sense would it make for her to sort of live as if she wasn't part of this family when she is a part of this family? And this sort of initiation ceremony of adoption is a beautiful way to think about baptism. That when you go into the water, you come back out and your life is sort of in a way bound to Jesus' life. But also you're sort of awakened to the fact that you are a part of a new family. A new kind of person. There's a new, new future ahead. So many different ways to look at it. I hope a lot of people get baptized. Last service, there's a bunch of people that signed up to get baptized. I'm so excited for Easter to come. I just can't wait for Easter to get here for us to celebrate together in that way. I want to end with some frequently asked questions about baptism. And while I'm doing that, I want the band to come up. If you guys could, let me just ask you some uh, or answer some frequently asked questions that I get. Uh, first is, does water baptism make someone a Christian? The answer is no. Water baptism doesn't make you a Christian. Water baptism is an outward sign of an inner reality of something that's happened already. So the water, the, the baptism water, you know, doesn't do it. It's not like, you know, if your faith is kind of like floundering right now, like, I know, I'll just get baptized and everything will be better. That, that's, it's not like a quick fix like that. Um, what baptism is, what baptism is, it's, it's a little bit like this wedding ring, okay? This wedding ring is, is a symbol. It's an outward symbol that you can see of, an, of a reality that you can't necessarily see because it's invisible, but I'm married. I'm a married guy. Now, this doesn't make me married by putting it on and taking it off, right? I'm still married. 
But this is just a way for, for, for me to know and everyone to know this is just an outward sign. And that's what baptism is. It's supposed to be a confirmation of relationship, not, the, not like, the, the, like, the, like the starter of the relationship. So baptism isn't the thing that saves. Sometimes I get these questions because sometimes there'll be uh, some people from maybe other church uh, environments or, you know, other church traditions. And, you know, they're really nervous that if we don't get my, you know, the, my baby baptized or, you know, my, if we don't get my son baptized, then he might go to hell because, you know, like you have to be baptized. Otherwise, you, you'll go to hell. You know, some of that stuff, like sometimes baptism is just loaded with all this stuff. And we don't believe, we don't believe that that's what the Bible teaches about baptism. Jesus saves. He's the one we put our faith and trust in. And baptism is, baptism is this beautiful initiation ceremony where we just get to mark it and celebrate it and see it in a really clear, beautiful way. Next question is, uh, what age is the right age for baptism? That's, that's not, not something I can answer particularly. Um, we don't baptize babies because we want kids to be able to be able to make their own decision. So I don't know what age that is for maybe some of your kids. Um, for my kid, I told you before, we've got Jeremiah, he's nine, he really wants to get baptized. And this Easter might be the, the, the baptism. And guys, it'll be my first son that I get to baptize. And I'm like, I'm, it's like, I just can't think of anything better. And he's excited, but we've waited because we just want him to be able to, to, we want him to be able to know that he knows what's going on. So I don't know what age is the right age. You might have a seven-year-old that just knows just loves Jesus and just so wants to participate in that. Um, I don't know, but, uh, but that's, that's my very vague answer for what, what age is the appropriate age. Can you get rebaptized? The answer is you don't have to, but yeah, you can. So for some of you, you got baptized when you were, when you were little and you don't remember it. And you might be thinking, hey, that baptism, that was my baptism. Like I, I don't remember it, but I'm counting that as my baptism. Then I'd say, that's great. You don't need to get rebaptized then. You got baptized already. That's awesome. But you might be saying, I don't remember it. And I'm in a new season of life. I've experienced Jesus' grace in a, in a new way. And I know what's going on now. And I want my life to be wrapped up in his life. Now, can I get rebaptized? The answer is you better get signed up today. All right? Get signed up. Yes, you can. You can. We love to walk with you in that. That'd be wonderful. Um, is there something special or holy about the water that we use? Like, is there a special tube that connects us straight to Jerusalem where we get our water? The answer is no. The water we use is like, is like grade A Prairie Mountain hose water that we get out from behind this door right here, right? We take the hose and we fill up, we fill up the tank. Um, you know what? To me, that's, it's, it's, because remember, it's not the water that saves, it's Jesus that saves and in a way, it's kind of cool. Isn't this what God is up to right now in your life? He's taking ordinary things like Prairie Mountain hose water. He's taking ordinary things and he's using it in a way that is beautiful and profound and lovely. And that's exactly what the gospel is doing in each and every one of our lives. He's taking the, the everyday things, the things that we think are just sort of, you know, just normal stuff. And he's making them beautiful and he's making all things new. And that's what baptism represents. If you haven't been baptized, get baptized. If you've got a kid that you feel like might be ready, start those conversations. We'd love to help. Um, if, uh, if you're not sure about any of this stuff, but you're, I'm so glad you were here today because this is our story. We believe this is true. This is what we're, we're building our lives on. Jesus, he came, he died, and he rose again, and he conquered death, and he's coming back again. And that deserves a big celebration and a big party and a new family. Glad that we get to be a part of this together.